my name is Devin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's my joy to be able to um, bring God's Word um, to you guys this morning. Um, we're at our, our final week on our series in Ezekiel, and we hope that these last seven weeks have been helpful for you to navigate what's a really uh, intimidating and tricky book. Um, each week we've been saying that the purpose of this book is that we would recapture a big vision for the glory of God. Um, and you'll remember uh, that opening vision in the first three chapters as God's glory was revealed to the exiles. Uh, then in chapter 8 to 11, Ezekiel received a, a tragic vision of God's glory leaving the temple that foreshadowed its destruction. And so now as, as we read these final chapters together, Ezekiel is going to give us this vision of a glorious restoration. Um, so we'll be trying to cover nine chapters today. So um, keep your Bibles open and uh, we need to pray for God's help. Um, Lord, lift our vision. Um, lift our vision beyond our current circumstances um, to you who is enthroned over everything. So lift our gaze uh, to see you more clearly. Amen. Um, I wonder what impact uh, the last two weeks has had on you. Um, if you've been following the news over the last two weeks, uh, you'll have heard about the standing down of the former Essendon CEO, Andrew Thorburn, uh, for his association with City on a Hill, uh, which is a church right next door to here. Um, it was thought that uh, the church's values opposed those of Essendon, and so Thorburn was given a choice. Um, a choice to resign as chairman on, of City on a Hill or resign as CEO of Essendon. Um, and as we know, Thorburn chose his church over his job. Um, I can't remember another time when, when faith and religion has been in the headlines of so many different news outlets. Um, it's really strange, isn't it, seeing a pastor's face front and centre of the Age website. Um, I can't remember another time when Christianity has been on the minds of so many Melburnians, probably because it impacts Melbourne's true religion, the AFL. Um, but also, I can't remember another time when Christianity in Melbourne has felt more under scrutiny. Um, where issues uh, regarding our faith have become so divisive in our community. And, and so I wonder, what impact has these last two weeks had on you? Maybe it's, it's made you angry, um, watching how the Christian faith has been misrepresented by the media, um, seeing Christians being described as bigots and propagating hatred, Maybe that really hurt you. Maybe that made you upset and plain angry at the situation. Um, or maybe the last two weeks has made you scared. Uh, maybe it's made you think about your standing in, in the workplace, what that might mean for your career in the corporate world or in education or healthcare. Um, it may worry you that even just calling yourself a Christian may impact your role or your promotion or advancement. Or, or, or maybe the, the last couple of weeks has done neither of those things, but it's just made you a little bit more apprehensive. 
maybe just a little bit more cautious about letting others know that you're a Christian and you're not quite sure what that'll mean for conversations with friends or how open you'd be about faith going forward. It's kind of hard, isn't it? It's kind of hard to know how to feel. Maybe you're a mix of all three. Um, But I suspect that living in this city that we call home is going to feel increasingly foreign. Um, This city will increasingly feel like a place where we no longer fully belong. This is life as an exile. Um, Through this whole book, the prophet Ezekiel has been speaking to exiles, people that have been displaced from their homes and taken to a foreign land where they don't belong. A land with a different culture, different people, different values. And as Ezekiel receives this final vision, it's 573 BC. It's 25 years since the beginning of the exile. And so we're here in Melbourne. We might have been feeling a bit displaced for the last two weeks. It's been 25 years for these people. And of course, if you're, if, if you're feeling like an exile... Your deepest longing is to go home. To go home to where it's familiar. Home to where you're accepted and where you feel safe. You may be able to relate to feelings of homesickness. And and so after 25 years, you can imagine they're reaching the point of despair. The temple and the city have been destroyed. So does home even exist anymore? And and so in this final vision, what could God say to these exiles and and say to us today that would fuel us to keep going and to keep living in a city where we may increasingly feel out of place? And so in in chapter 40, verse 4, Ezekiel is told to immerse himself in this vision. Uh, To look at it with your eyes, hear it with your ears, set your heart on it and share it. And that's what I want for us today too, that that this vision would captivate and fuel our hearts today. Um, This final vision is is structured in three parts. Uh, First, Ezekiel sees a renewed temple. Uh, Verse 2, he's taken up a high mountain, so high that he can see an entire city below. And as he looks, he sees a temple that's, that's like a city. It's, it's huge. A, a temple that was once destroyed, now made completely new. Um, when the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris burnt down in, in 2019, people knelt and wept near the church, grieving its loss. Even for people that didn't believe in God, this, te- this cathedral still represented a sacred space. It was still central to their cultural identity. Um, One person said it felt as though the heart and soul of France was suddenly and viciously ripped out. Uh, But now, as the citizens witness the Notre Dame being restored bit by bit, there's a glimmer of hope. Just a vision of a better future that would recapture their identity and history. And, and, and in a similar way here, the temple is central to Israel's identity as God's people. 
God makes it very clear Israel are not special in themselves. The only thing that sets them apart from the nations is that God is present with them. That's what the temple is about. And so now the the restoration of this temple shows God has not given up on his people. Um, If you flick through chapter 40, what's really striking about the temple is its dimensions, just how elaborate the details are. Um, But like Ezekiel's other visions, the point isn't to try and pick them apart, but to immerse yourself in them, to behold the, the grandeur and the beauty of God's presence. Um, He's taken on a tour inside the walls in verse 5, then to the outer court, then into the inner court, and then within the temple itself. And the first thing to notice is just how big this temple is. Um, I found this graphic just really helpful to get a sense of scale. Um, That these dimensions go way beyond the old temple that was destroyed, And you can see that this picture that's being painted, that the grandeur of this temple, that God is announcing a new future. As they suffer in exile now, God is lifting their eyes to this vision of the future that will be something bigger and better than anything that's come before. The other thing to notice is the design. Um, A massive wall guards the temple, making this clear divide between those on the inside and those on the outside. And as Ezekiel gets further inside, he goes up lots of staircases. Uh, So the more you move in, the more you move up. Uh, The design shows the holiness and the purity that's required to enter God's presence. The, The closer you get to him, the greater holiness required. We're witnessing not just the vastness of this temple, but its preciousness just how special it is to be and to sit in the presence of God. Um, Over history, some have predicted that this would be a literal temple that would actually be built by Israel. Uh, But of course, we know from history, this temple was never built. Because the point of this temple is not an architectural plan to build. We're not given the height dimensions. We're, We're not told the building materials. So the purpose of this vision is not for construction, but for anticipation. The temple is something God will do, not us. There's no command for it to be built. Only that we would look forward, that we would anticipate something to come. And and, and the climax of this vision comes, chapter 43, as God's glory returns. That was what was read. Verse 2, it's coming from the east. It's coming from the exact same way it departed back in chapter 10. Look at how it's described. Coming like the sound of many waters, the earth shone with his glory. And the glory, as the glory of the Lord fills the temple, Ezekiel falls on his face. He's completely overwhelmed. You see, as amazing and as big as this temple is, The temple is only beautiful and precious because this is where God is. Verse 7, the temple is his throne where he will dwell in the midst of his people forever. But what do we do with this vision? I mean, why did God give it? Well, it's actually for a surprising reason in verse 10. 
this vision was actually to bring shame. Uh, I wonder if you've ever gone back to visit your old childhood home where you grew up. Um, and perhaps you were eager and excited to see it again and just anticipating the memories that are going to flood back. Um, and maybe as you see your, your house for the first time in years, you, you're shocked. It, it's, it's nothing like you remembered. And, and, and you're sad to see it so mangled and neglected. Uh, Perhaps weeds have grown outside, the timber is starting to rot, it has become completely uninhabitable. That's what Ezekiel saw in chapters 8 to 11. He was haunted by this vision, pretty much a nightmare, where he saw the old temple neglected and defiled. And to his horror, he saw God's glory depart the temple, leaving his people because of their sin and idolatry. See, they had treated something so beautiful and precious as something so worthless. But in this new temple, God says, verse 9, Now let the people put away their whoring, their unfaithfulness, put away the dead bodies of their kings and the idolatry, and I will dwell in their midst forever. You see, if you can truly behold the the beauty and the value of God's presence, you'd be so ashamed to ever let it go. Um, Even today, our our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so the beauty of God's presence in us may make us ashamed at the state of our lives now. And so the final call of this book is that we would recapture this vision and resolve never to let it go. Even as we finish this book, we must never let the glory of God slip from our minds and our hearts. Um, As Ezekiel, um, as the exiles anticipate this um, future of God's glory restored, they're they're reminded of their own condition. Um, They're reminded here of their sins and, and their failures that drove God away in the first place. That's the tension of the passage, that, that, that if God's presence is to be restored forever, he can't just renew the temple. No, he must renew the people and their worship too. Um, the hope for us living in this world where we don't fully belong is not that just God is coming, but that we ourselves will change, that we will be ready for God to return. Um, And so in verse 18, as Ezekiel looks on the altar, he sees the restoration of worship. He sees sacrifices like burnt offerings and sin offerings resuming. Now you might ask, why is that good? I mean, we sometimes think about sacrifices as a sign of a harsh God demanding blood, like a tyrant over his people. Um, But what we'll see in this section is that sacrifices are actually a sign of God's grace, his blessing to us. Uh, First, the reinstitution of sacrifices are a sign of God's blessing as he extends his hand of fellowship to us. Um, If sin separates us from God, then sacrifices restore relationship. Verse 19, sacrifices allow these priests to draw near to God once more. Sacrifices also mean cleansing. 
You'll see that language of purification, verse 22, where our hearts have been stained and defiled by sin. Sacrifices cleanse us so that we can draw near. Uh, We were talking just before about the shame that comes with sin, that sin makes us impure. Um, And it's the feeling of uncleanness and and guilt that that when we do things we know we shouldn't do. It's, it's, It's common to all of us. But that's why sacrifice matters, that as sacrifices are restored, God is promising to cleanse us and wash us clean. Um, Even the priests, chapter 44, the ones previously defiling the temple are cleansed. They will lead people in holiness. Chapter 46, the princes, the ones who previously mistreated, who, who took advantage of the people, will be transformed into good shepherds. They will not steal from their people, verse 18, but they will lead them in justice so that no sheep will ever be scattered again. I hope you're seeing here that a restored temple is always so much more than the building. It was about the restoration of the people of God. And so these sacrifices are actually signs of God's redemptive love that are preparing us to be with him. Uh, Look at verse 27. Um, When all these sacrifices are made, I will accept you declares the Lord. Do you see that these sacrifices are a language of warmth, a language of welcome as God embraces us and accepts us as his own? This restored temple shows us that ultimately our true home isn't a place. Home was never meant to be Jerusalem. Home isn't meant to be Melbourne. Home is where God is. Home is where God's presence is. And so that means we can physically live far from home and yet still be, in one sense, at home in relationship with God. Um, I want you to see how this fuels missions. I'm, I'm always amazed at our global mission partners who willingly would go to a foreign land where they don't belong, where they have to learn a new language and culture. They'll probably be a minority. There's a chance they'll be persecuted for their faith. Why do they go? What keeps them going in a foreign land? What would keep them persevering as exiles as far from home? It's because they know that home is wherever God is. And so they can continue to grow and flourish because in one sense, we're always home. Do you see, it frees us to go anywhere for, for the Lord because we are a renewed people living in God's presence. Um, So far we've seen that God's presence is transformative. Um, As God draws near, it changes us. Um, And now in this last section, this vision is about to get even bigger. Um, Because we'll see that God's presence doesn't just mean a new temple or a new people, but an entirely new world. Uh, The tour of the temple is complete and um, in chapter 47, Ezekiel is led back outside the temple and he sees water flowing from the temple. Um, This water starts as a little trickle in verse 2, then becomes a puddle, 
Then it gets deeper and deeper from his ankles to his knees to his waist. And then in verse 5, he's, he's swimming in what has become a river. Kind of like when you're at the beach and you know the water in the beach starts around your, your ankles and it goes to your waist and then eventually you're enveloped by a sea. And as this water continues to flow from the temple, verse 8, the river enters the Dead Sea itself. And remarkably, the salt water from the Dead Sea is transformed into fresh water. Um, you might have seen pictures of people floating in the Dead Sea uh, reading a newspaper, just because you can. Because um, the Dead Sea is the highest concentration of salt in the world. It's about 10 times as salty as the Atlantic or Pacific Oceans. Uh, but because it's so salty, it means nothing can live in it. Um, other than algae, the, the sea is completely devoid of life. Hence, it's called the Dead Sea. But the amazing thing here is that this river flowing from the temple is so transformative, it makes the Dead Sea live. Verse 9, it is so revitalized that now creatures are living and swarming in it. The presence of God flowing from the temple is transforming and renewing all of creation. A world that was previously dead and corrupted by the curse is now enveloped in the life-giving presence of God. Uh, verse 12, this water flowing from the temple is so affecting the natural world, it's giving growth to all different kinds of trees that are bearing fruit. The leaves of these trees will be for healing. It's a picture of creation that is healed and restored. Um, I know many of us recently have been um, dealing with grief uh, through the sickness and and loss of our loved ones. And so how beautiful is this future where God's presence brings healing. Um, he brings a world that is going to be free from sickness and death. Um, often in our minds, our, the memories that we have in our loved ones is of them sick. It's of them struggling. And, and it's, it's sad that these are now our memories. But I want you to see here that this vision shows that these memories will one day be gone forever because you will see your loved ones again, not as sick, not as struggling. You will see them in the fullness of who they were created to be. It will be a beautiful and marvelous reunion. Um, notice that this vision of rivers and trees giving life is is very similar to the Garden of Eden that also had a river and a tree of life. And so this vision is describing a renewed Eden, a, a, a renewed world where death and destruction are removed. What Ezekiel is describing is clearly no longer Jerusalem. Even the tribes as they're allotted, verses chapters 47, 48, the dimensions don't fit the land. And as this vision closes in chapter 48, the gates of this city form this perfect square. The symmetry of the whole city is, is like the most holy place in the temple that formed a perfect cube. And so we're getting this picture of the glory of the Lord that is expanding from the most holy place and filling an entire city, of filling a whole world 
that'll be a place of intimacy and access to God. Isn't it interesting? The, the name of this city is no longer Jerusalem. But in the final words of this book, the last verse, the name of this city shall be, The Lord is there. Ezekiel is lifting our eyes all the way to the end, where home is no longer defined by a place or a city. And for these exiles that are living now in a place where they don't belong, their, their hopes don't lie in Babylon and ret- um, by leaving Babylon, returning to Jerusalem. Because God's preparing a world. God's preparing a new world for them that will make Jerusalem pale in comparison. We've been learning each week that how the, the visions of glory in Ezekiel are ultimately pointing us forward to the person and work of Jesus. And here it's exactly the same. Uh, we've seen a renewed temple, a renewed people, a renewed world. And we're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Um, in Jesus, we learn it was always God's plan to destroy an old temple and rebuild a new one. As the temple's destroyed here, it anticipates the coming of Jesus, who in his body says the temple will be destroyed, that his body will be raised in three days. The destruction and raising of the temple points us to the cross as Jesus dies to sin and then rises so that his presence will be with us forever. I want you to see that in a very real sense, as we live with Christ in union with him, we're already home. In Christ, we see as a temple sacrifice is still necessary. The book of Hebrews shows Jesus as the new priest, the perfect once for all sacrifices that cleanses us, that enables us to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. And finally, when Jesus comes again, his presence will usher and transform a new world. Uh, In Revelation 22, I want you to see how it picks up the features of Ezekiel's temple. Let me read. The angel shows John the river of life that's flowing from the throne. Sounds familiar? Um, The trees of life bear fruit. The leaves are for the healing of the nations, for everyone. There won't be anything accursed in this, in this place, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. I want you to see what, what Ezekiel is anticipating Revelation fulfills. A perfect world that is still energized from a river of life that is flowing from God's presence. Trees of life for the healing of the nations. The presence of God dwelling with a renewed people. We can say that This heavenly city has the same name. The Lord is there. Um, I suspect that uh, life here in Melbourne going forward is going to feel a lot less like Jerusalem and a lot more like Babylon. Um, Life in this city may start to feel far less like home and far more foreign. And I think that our trap, our issue will be that we want to build our lives more like living in Jerusalem than like living in Babylon. After all, isn't Melbourne one of the most livable cities in the world? It would be easy to do that. And so I wonder, 
where is home for you? Um, Is home tied to a particular place or people or comforts? I wonder what if we're trying to build home, we're trying to build Jerusalem or a new Jerusalem in this life. I want you to see this, this vision of this temple reminds us that we don't belong here. This world is not meant to be our final home. And so the dreams of building a perfect life or a perfect home will never come to pass. You know things go wrong. People change. Our loved ones get sick. And as we've seen over the last two weeks, our sense of belonging can come and go very quickly. Uh, Maybe for some of you here today, you've never really felt truly at home anywhere. Maybe you've always felt like a bit of an outsider or out of place in your schools or universities, workplaces, even amongst friends and family. This is the tension for us today as we finish this book that we are now living between two worlds and between two homes. Um, Hebrews 11 paints this beautiful picture. It's quite long of, of courageous men and women in the Bible who died in faith, not having received things promised, but greeted them from afar, acknowledging that they were strangers, that they too were exiles, but exiles who desired a better country, a heavenly one, and for whom God is preparing a city. Most of these exiles in Ezekiel would die in Babylon. That would be where their final that would be their final resting place. It would be another thirty five years till they were allowed back home. So most would never see Jerusalem again. But even as they died in exile, it would be okay. Because Jerusalem's not their ultimate home. Even for us as exiles today, we can continue living in a city that may reject us now because God is preparing something better. And so as we reflect together on what's been a really significant two weeks for Christians in Melbourne, um, we don't exactly know how things are going to play out for us here. We don't know what that will mean for our careers or our friendships or our future. But even if it's felt like everything has changed, in reality, nothing has changed. We don't need to shrink back. We don't need to fear or despair because we know where home is. We know how the story ends. And together, so let's keep lifting our eyes to to this new home that already has a name for us. The Lord is there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our our hearts long for home. We long for a place where we're accepted, where we belong. Um, Even in our lives now, we look forward to this vision of a renewed people in a renewed world where we will be with Jesus face to face. And so, Lord, give us the strength to endure as exiles in Melbourne. For we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.